Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of Acts, um, and specifically Acts chapter 9. Um, last week, if you were here, don't worry if you weren't here, but last week we were looking at the story in Acts chapter 9 of Saul, who later in the book of Acts becomes Paul, who uh, you may have heard of. He becomes quite a famous uh, character in the Bible, ends up writing quite a, a proportion of the Bible as we know it today. And in last week, we were looking at his conversion story, how he came to know Jesus Christ, how the grace of God flooded into his heart and began to, to change him. And the specific story of what happened as he was traveling on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears to him quite dramatically. So that's what we were talking about last week. And then this week is, I guess, what happens next. Uh, what happens next in the life of Saul, what he immediately goes on to do. It says, first we're going to read in a, in a moment, that he immediately goes out and he starts, having met Jesus himself, he starts going and telling other people about Jesus. So I'm going to read from uh, verse 19 of Acts chapter 9 through to verse 31. It says this, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God and all who heard him were amazed and said is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name and has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night, let him down through an opening the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he came come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church, throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Jesus, we just want to come to you and ask this morning uh, for your help we thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're described in the Bible as the helper. That's what you do. You come to help us, uh, mainly to help us to see more of Jesus Christ. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, just to fall on us again right now, just to come and minister to our hearts, that you would come and point to Jesus, maybe even for some of us for the very first time, that you just draw our hearts to the wonder of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he's done for us. That as we look at these words today, that you make our hearts come alive again with your wonderful good news. We pray that all in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Over the last uh, couple of weeks and through a few more weeks uh, into the summer, there's been a group of us that have been getting up very early on a Friday morning at 6.30 and gathering in Dam Square, Dadam, in the center of Amsterdam to, to pray. We just thought, while the weather's nice in the summer, let's just get outside early before anyone else is in the city, uh, before it's all full with tourists and everything else, and get and just seek God and pray for, pray for our city, which seems like a very kind of bold, faith-filled thing to do. But what we've discovered is, is that the city's actually not that quiet, even at 6.30 on a Friday morning, that we're standing there in the middle of, of Dam Square and there's delivery drivers coming in and there's people on their way to the work and there's the remnants of some nights out still kind of <laughs> trying to find their way back to their hotels. There's people waking up, there's road sweepers, and what we found is that even in praying, so we were there this Friday and we prayed in Dam Square for about half an hour and then we walked next to the Alderkirk in the middle of the red light district and we prayed there. And what we discovered was, a, I guess at least what I felt was a bit of a vulnerability that when you've got lots of people kind of milling around and delivery drivers kind of driving straight at you in some cases and just noise and people, you know, praying. I mean, praying in public anyway, if you've ever done it, feels quite an odd experience. We're very used to praying in private, which is how Jesus, you know, encourages us to pray, to close our doors behind us and not to be showing off, but just to privately come to him, which is really important. But as we've been praying outside, we've discovered this, I found this vulnerability, this sense of, I don't, not sure I feel particularly safe even doing this. But what, in a way, that's, that's a wonderfully good thing. Because, well, first of all, that is part of what the heart of what prayer is, is to come and be dependent on God, to be weak. You know, it's not about being powerful, because in a sense, it's maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. To pray is a... If you really think about it, it's a bit of a ridiculous thing. Sometimes it can feel a bit ridiculous. But in a sense, it's us saying to God, no, you're, you're strong and we're weak. We're really dependent on you. You know, we're praying big prayers for our city, but really we're depending on God to be the one that's going to move and, and, and do it. So when you feel weak and vulnerable, that's a good thing in prayer, to be dependent on him. But also I was reminded over the weekend that in a sense, feeling vulnerable is, it reminds us of the power of the gospel. That sometimes, perhaps even you being a, a Christian in a city like this um, can feel vulnerable. Maybe that's how you would describe it, being a believer in Amsterdam. You just feel a bit vulnerable. You know, I'm not sure I really want to share my faith with, with others. I'm sure the values that I hold, I don't know how... I, to communicate that with the people around me. You can feel vulnerable. But my encouragement to us today is to never lose heart in the power of the gospel. Never lose heart in the power of the gospel. And by gospel, maybe you don't know what that word means. You're not a follower of Jesus. Well, what we mean is, when we're talking about the gospel, is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the word means. It means good news. The good news that Jesus Christ came to 
save us. Despite us, despite all our sin and mistakes and regrets, everything that we've done against ourselves, against other people, how we've sinned against God, that he's saved us. And not by works, not because of our efforts, not because of things we've done, but as an act of his sovereign grace alone. That's what we mean when we talk about the gospel. And it says in, in a Romans chapter 1, this is Paul who we're, we're looking at his story. This is him writing a letter to the book, to the church in, in Rome. He says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God for salvation. It's the power that all of us need. The gospel isn't just the, the A, the first point of the Christian life. It's all of our Christian life. That all of us every week, we need to know more of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That really it's what our city needs. You know, we've called our church Liberty Church because we believe in a city that's all the time searching for freedom, searching for liberty, that what it needs is the liberty that the city will only find in Jesus Christ. It's only the gospel that will bring liberty to the city. And when Paul shares this, or Saul is in this story, when he shares this message when he's straight away he's saved he comes to know Jesus and then he begins to tell people it says that they're confounded that they're amazed as not by Saul himself but the message he's teaching and you might raise a a hand at that point and say well hold on a second you know I want to believe that there's power in the gospel I want to believe that I could even tell my friends about Jesus and they'd be amazed and confounded and yet that's not been my experience that's not how I've found it in in my own walk with God and yet I still think we can come with a confidence when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ that it really is good news for our own hearts it really is the best news that you will ever come to know but it's also wonderfully good news for our city, for our friends, for our family, for the people around us. And I want us to give us another reason of why I think we can have confidence in this, why it's good news, is because in a sense, the, the gospel is closer to the city than you think it is. The gospel is closer to the city than you think it is. What I mean by that is we live in a city that's famously secular. We tend to talk about that a lot here. By secular, we mean a, a rejection of God, a, a living life without God. You know, Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the uh, philosopher from a few hundred years ago, talked about how culture has been on this journey of, of emptying its, all its worldviews, all its ideas of emptying away from God. We just don't need him anymore. That we've even got now freedom, not in religion, but freedom from religion. That we don't need this gospel. We don't need... Jesus anymore. Other more modern writers like Charles Taylor have talked about how in a sense we don't really have people around us don't have the the architecture anymore to understand the gospel because they've been, this worldview of of Jesus and who he is has been taken away from people that people don't really have any sense of God in their lives they don't have any understanding of the Bible they've never read this book they've never been in a church 
service. Maybe that's true for the people that you know. Their, their exposure to the Christian faith is so small that for you to share them out about Jesus feels like a massive undertaking because you're starting from, from nothing. There's no, there's no kind of scaffolding already there that you can begin to hang things on. And yet, even though that might be true, another writer who I've been reading recently, a Dutch writer called J.H. Bavinck, asks the question as, where does belief start? Ask yourself that. Where does belief start? Does it start with us or does it start with God? That was the question he was asking. Because if belief starts with God, then I think we have some hope that even if there isn't any religious architecture in people's lives, even if there's no understanding of the gospel or the word of God, what he argues is that everybody has a sort of a there's a misty memory in our souls, is the language he uses, that deep within every human being, there's something in their hearts, there's some, perhaps even subconscious uh, thoughts that perhaps they're not even aware of, but even within all of us, there's a, a longing, a desire, there's an awareness of God deep within every human being. He uses the language of like a, a religious consciousness, Everybody has some kind of religious idea. He's basing it from the Bible. It says, in, again, in Romans chapter 1, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So even right from the beginning, every human being has always been able to see something of God in the world around them. That in a sense of when we observe nature and we see the, the grandeur, the, the magnificence of creation, that it does something within us. We get a sense of transcendence, a sense of wonder, a sense of, wow, look at that. And it's a yearning, it's, it's a seed of God that he's put in our hearts, calling us to him that woven into all of our hearts, woven into the fabric of our lives is the, the whisper of God. He's always speaking. Perhaps you're here today and you've, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Well, maybe ask yourself, of, why, am I, why am I here? <laughs> what, what led me to being here this morning? What brought me here? Maybe God was somehow involved in that journey. Maybe there was a quiet whisper at some point that brought you here into this room. I want to just quickly recommend a book to you. This is called Making Faith Magnetic, which is by a, a, a modern writer, Daniel Strange. But he's, he's talking about some of these things that I've been... that I've been talking about, this idea that there's a kind of religious consciousness that we can all feed into. And he argues that there are five hidden themes in our culture, five hidden themes in our life that he calls magnetic points. They're like ways in. That there are things that all of us observe in our hearts. And one of them he describes as this. He said, our third magnetic point is arguably the most obvious. We will call it deliverance or redemption. And it asks whether there is a way out because we know there is something not right with the world. 
the problems of brokenness, of wrongdoing, of suffering and death consistently confront us. And sometimes we look forward to a future where things will be better. And other times we look back and we mourn for a paradise lost and we yearn for deliverance from these evils, craving release and redemption. Within all of us, when we observe the world around us, there's that desire within us to, how are we going to fix things? How are we going to make this world better? Or perhaps even more personally, when we consider our own hearts and we think of, life isn't what I was expecting it to be. Life isn't what I dreamed and imagined. How will I find a way out of this? How will I find a way through? Or how do I find a way back to that time when I was really happy, when, the, when things would seem to be working out for me? How do I get back to that point? How can I rewrite history? Can, can I write things anew in my life? How does that journey work? In all of us, there's perhaps an awareness that life isn't what we want it to be. And we seek to to solve that problem, to try and elevate our life to a, a higher plane, to a better place. And in a sense, that's what's happening here in this story. That in the way that Saul is communicating this message of Jesus Christ, because what he's doing, he's coming to a people who, in the first century in Palestine 2,000 years ago, to the Jewish people he's communicating to, They've been, they've been longing, they've been taught through the Old Testament, they've been longing for a, a deliverer. They've been longing for redemption. They've been longing for a way out. They're, they're under oppression of the Romans in Jerusalem they're, they're, and Damascus and the cities around there. They're, they're under occupation and they desperately want freedom. They want their Messiah to come and rescue them, to set them free. That's the longing in their hearts. They're living, in a sense, as exiles, as refugees, even in their own nation. And Paul comes to them and says, the Messiah you've been looking for, Jesus was the Christ. That's, we can read it here. That's his message to them, that Jesus was the Christ. In a sense, he's doing what this writer is talking about. He's thinking, what's, what's the best way I can communicate the gospel that's going to reach these people? What are they longing for? What's the hunger deep in their hearts? And he's showing them the gospel was the answer. And whatever the longing, the hunger in your hearts is today, it's the gospel's the answer. By that I mean Jesus. He's the answer. He's what you're looking for. He's what you need. Whether you've not, wouldn't call yourself a Christian at all, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for decades, he's, he's what you need. And the world will offer you so many other solutions, so many other ways through, so many other ways out, but he's the one you need. He's the only one that will change your life. And I want to take a moment and look a little bit more about how Saul is communicating this, how he, in a sense, knits the gospel in. Because it says in, in verse 22 that Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. That word proving is a bit of an odd word that only appears a few times in the Bible. Um, and perhaps the best way to describe it or to translate it would be knitting. 
that he's taking two ideas and uniting them, two different thoughts and weaving them, knitting them together. Because he's doing what I was talking about. He's coming to them and, and he's, he's hitting their, their worldview, how they see the world as exiles who are lost, who are seeking Messiah. He's hitting that point with the gospel of Jesus Christ saying, no, he's the Messiah. He's the way out. He's the one that's going to lead you through. And what we're going to learn about Saul as we go through this book, that he uses this, this idea of sort of knitting the gospel into people's everyday lives. He does it again and again. So here, where he's talking about this messianic hope, Jesus, that's going to come, if you go to Acts chapter 17, you'll read about how Paul arrives in the city of Athens, which is a very different city. It's not full of lots of Jews. It's full of lots of, of Greeks and of pagans of, who don't believe in the God of the Bible, who've perhaps never even heard of the God of the Bible. And there he doesn't come to them and say, no, Jesus is your Messiah that's going to come because they wouldn't have known what he was talking about. There he rises into them in Acts 17 and he, rather than quoting from the Bible as he was probably doing to these Jews in Damascus, he starts quoting from their own poets and their own writers, just secular voices. He starts saying, no, this person said, and within that you can see the hunger of God there. He does the same thing. He, he brings the gospel into their everyday life and language. And the principle I'm trying to draw out here is that there's no, there isn't a universal presentation of the gospel, but the gospel does speak to every person in every culture. There's no one way of doing it, which is sometimes people will say, oh, this is the way you share the gospel. It's like, well, that might work there with that person in that time. But actually, there are lots of different ways to tell people about Jesus. And what it's important to do and what our mission is as a church here, and we're watching that video for the different churches that apply in different cities, there's going to be different ways to communicate the gospel there. My friend Janusz in Krakow in Poland where the majority of people would be Catholics. They would have some church experience and background that on key times of the year, they would go to their Catholic church, but they have no personal relationship with Jesus. Their, their religion is, is just something that they do, a, a habit, a, a practice that they do to keep their parents happy or their grandparents happy. So for Yanush and Camilla, it's like, how do we tell them about the Jesus? And that's going to be different from how we do it in our city here. So I want to give us a few steps to help us to do that. Four points which can help us. First of all is for us, for our mission here in this city is to, to learn. For us to learn. Learn the, the questions that our city is asking. Learn the culture that shapes how people think, how people respond. That's a, a, a lifelong task that I've tried to undertake. I just want to learn this city, how people think. I don't want to arrogantly come in and think, oh, I'll, I'll just tell them the, the, the way that I know. I want to learn how these, why, not just so I can critique it and be really negative, but I want to learn the good things about this city. Or learn the, how this city in different ways reflects God in all sorts of beautiful different angles. And there's lots of ways you can do that. You can read books. A friend of mine uh, was telling me how he's just been working through a podcast series just about the history of the city. You go to the Amsterdam Museum and just soak up 
some of the atmosphere or just walk around the city and just begin to learn what this city is like. Paul does this here. He spent his life living amongst Jews. He's been trained in, in the Jewish faith. He spent his life learning how they think, how they're going to respond in certain situations. He's been learning the things that they value, the things that they care about, the things that interest them so that he can bring the gospel to bear. So first of all, learn. Secondly, related to this is to, to listen, which might sound like the same thing, but in a sense, there's a, there's a task of learning how the city thinks on a bigger, grander scale. But if we do that and don't actually listen to the people around us, we can become very cynical, very, very critical. Because when you begin to listen to what your friends think, the people you work with, your neighbors, the things that are on there, the things they worry about, the things that they're concerned about, or that their hopes, their desires, what, what they're living for, when you get to know real people and what's on their hearts, it's gonna change how you wanna tell them about Jesus. Because they they, they're no longer just a project. They're no longer part of a thesis or an idea or a plan. They're, they're real people with real stories, a real life that they've lived. And what we want to do is we want to connect those stories and show them how through the, the plot line of their lives that the happy ending they're looking for is found in Jesus. That all the questions that they're asking, all the desires that are on their hearts, all their hopes and dreams, all their longings, the answer is ultimately found in him. And again, Paul does the same thing. It says that he's arrived in Damascus and he says for some days he was there. For some days he was in the city, getting to know people, making friends, learning how people thought, learning what was going on in people's lives. Number three is to, to navigate. In light of all those things, in light of what we've learned, how we've listened to people, is to think, how, how therefore shall I communicate about Jesus? What's that going to look like? How's the best way to serve them? There's a, we could talk about that loads more of how we do that. But a couple of points here is when we, even here on a Sunday, when we preach the gospel, we, we want it to be understandable to people. In how we do our services, we want people in our city to come and things are going to be odd and strange. We, we recognize that. It's, coming into church is always going to be a weird experience. But we want people to be able to follow what we're doing, to be able to ask questions and understand it. So maybe if you've moved here from another part of the world and you think, your church isn't like my old church. Can't, can't we do things a bit like my old church used to do it? And the answer is probably going to be no, to be honest. Not because we think our church is better, because your church in that place is reaching a completely different group of people. And there's not, there are things that we can learn for sure and we'd love to hear those things, but ultimately we are not, I'm saying we're doing everything we're doing here is right, definitely not, but we wanna learn how to reach this city, not a city, a place somewhere else. And again, we see, we see how Saul does it. In, in, here in this story, it says that he goes into the synagogues and he proclaims Jesus. He proclaims in the synagogues. That's what he does here in Damascus. But again, in Acts 17, when he's in Athens, he doesn't talk about him proclaiming. He says he reasons. So here he just goes and he's boldly just telling them, this is who the Messiah is. 
Whereas when he goes to Athens, he, he reasons, he, he debates with them. And he doesn't go to the synagogue in Athens, he goes to the, the agora, the, the public space. He goes to where, where people came, came to debate and came to argue. So his methodology is completely different because of the, the city that he's in. Another way we do that here is we use something called the, the Alpha Course, which I don't know if you've heard of, which is a great opportunity just to come and ask questions. And we do it over, normally over a meal or have something to eat together and watch a video or discuss a topic. And then it's like any question can come. <laughs> it doesn't matter how weird it is, how crazy it is. I remember once leading a, uh, being involved in running an Alpha Course and someone said, did Jesus have a beard? And I thought, I don't know. <laughs> but obviously that's what they wanted to know about. But that's the thing. With Alpha, you can just come and ask any questions. You won't be judged or laughed at. We'll want to try and help you to... We'll try and help and answer them as best we can, but we won't be looking to judge or to argue with you. But we just want to hear the, what's going on in your life, the questions that you have, and help to point you to Jesus. And that's really what we want to do, is we want to we answer. We want to show that in this book, in the Bible, in Jesus Christ, is the answer to all of life's questions. And that's what Paul is doing in this story. He's saying, no, Jesus is the hope that you've been looking for. He's what you've been seeking. And he does this all with this sense of gospel strength that comes to him, because... This can sound like a daunting task, right? Maybe you've, you think, oh, I've tried to tell people about Jesus. It's just scary and daunting. It's just difficult. I don't even know where to start. I don't know the words to use. And it was, it was hard for, for Saul. <laughs> We're going to read more in the weeks to come about what happens in his life. Even here in this story, it says the Jews were plotting to kill him. And he had to escape. He's lowered out of the city in a basket. And even when he goes to Jerusalem to, to be with, you know, the original church, the first Christians, these guys will understand me. They initially reject him because he's the guy that's been persecuting us. Stay away. And Barnabas has to come in and be his advocate. Beautiful little story of how Barnabas is advocates for, for Paul. It wasn't easy for him. He was misunderstood a lot. He was once the persecutor, and then he becomes the persecuted. He's attacked for his faith. But it says here in this passage that he preached this message boldly and that he grew in strength. And let me finish by some words that he wrote in one, his letter to Timothy. He says this, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service though formerly I was a blasphemer a persecutor an insolent opponent but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus see the, the strength that we all need the strength that he received is, again, it's found in Jesus Christ. It's found in the gospel. It's found in him. And he says here, I thank him who's given me strength because he's judged me faithful. And we can think, ah, oh, well, I need, I need to be faithful to get this strength. 
Maybe you're looking for strength in life, strength to tell others about him. I need to be faithful, but that's not actually the point he's making. He's not, he's judged faithful because Jesus has decided he's faithful, not because he's act, acted faithfully. He goes on to say, because I've received mercy. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me. That's the wonderful good news of the gospel, that each of us can come and receive his mercy. Not because we've been faithful, but because so often we've been unfaithful. Because we've run away from him. But we've rejected him in our hearts. And yet the grace of God, it doesn't just come and give us enough, the right proportion, the right amount. It says the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's Saul's, that's, he's, he's giving his testimony here. To Timothy, he's saying, "This is what Jesus did in my life. His grace overflowed. So, therefore, of, of course, he's going to go and tell people about him, because the overflowing grace of God filled him with strength." I just want to pray for us this morning. Why don't we just stand to your feet if you're comfortable to do that? We're going to take communion in a moment, but I just want to pray for us first of all. Jesus, we just want to ask. Uh, we want to ask for your strength to come in our hearts. Um, maybe it's for, we know that there's a, a mission you've called us to, that we see, uh, we wanna tell people about Jesus, that we don't wanna ram it down their throats, but we, we, we see the story of their life and we know that what they're searching for really is, is you, that you're the answer, that you're the great hope, that you're the way out, the way through that they need. We, we, want, we want to be able to tell them about you, but we need strength to do that, wisdom to do it. We thank you that's available in you. And maybe the strength we need is perhaps we just want to believe in you at all, just maybe even for the first time, or maybe there's a challenge in front of us. I, thought, I just need strength today just to follow Jesus, just to, just to invite him into my heart. I just need strength. Again, we thank you that it's a gift available to us not because of how well we've performed, but because of your mercy. And we just want to receive today of your overflowing grace that comes to us by the Holy Spirit. We just want to invite you, Holy Spirit, just to flood into our hearts again, just to overflow our hearts with your grace and mercy. Give us strength. We just want to come to you vulnerable and weak, because that's what we really are. That's what prayer does, it, as we were talking about at the start. It, it wakes you up to the reality of what you're really like. We're vulnerable and weak, and we need you, Jesus. So come and give us strength, we pray. We need your strength. Amen. Amen.